Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with Andrew Lewis-Smith. This is a podcast which looks at Detroit, its people and initiatives and projects which are making a difference to the city and its communities. Every week I'll be asking a new interviewee about Detroit, the projects that they are involved in and what it is that they love about Detroit and the people who live there. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. Hello, and thank you so much if you listened into last week's show with Dara Collins from Food Rescue Detroit. Last week, we heard about how Dara and her team of volunteers are saving tens of thousands of pounds in weight of food. I mean, literally tens of thousands. It's phenomenal. The amount that's increasing almost day on day. Um, and they're then getting it out to local agencies who, who get the food to those in need. So for me, I just want to say, I hope you're enjoying listening to it, but this project is turning into one of the great joys of my life. Um, learning about interesting and important things, but also having the opportunity and privilege to speak to really and truly inspiring people. Um, so this week, it's a, a fantastic conversation about bees and in particular, urban beekeeping. So it's another dynamic organisation and an amazing person and one of the amazing people who's at the f- forefront of it. Um, thank you so much for listening. And if you, if you do like the show, please um, tell a friend about it and subscribe. It really makes a difference. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Detroit from Across the Pond with me, your host, Andrew Lewis-Smith. And I'm really pleased today to, um, in fact, more than pleased, I'm excited to be speaking to Brian Peterson-Roost, from Bees in the D. Now, we've had a few technical problems. We're both slightly fraught and manic, so if that comes across, that's why. Brian is, as well as being a passionate beekeeper, uh, which is going to be a lot of the focus of today's conversation, he's also a school teacher, maths and science. Uh, he's an associate professor at Oakland University. He has a degree, and I'm going to have to read this because it's quite long, in education, leadership and administration from Oakland University. He's Michigan's has won Michigan Science Teacher of the Year Award, which sounds pretty impressive. And this is very impressive, if you ask me. He um, received an award pre- presented by uh, President Barack Obama for excellence in mathematics and science teaching, which is all really impressive. Plus, he's, um, I don't know if you would call him the father, but he's got a heck of a lot of bees out there and hives that he looks after in season, I guess. So we'll find more about that. So welcome, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite an introduction. I appreciate that. One of the things um, I was going to ask first was, um, obviously for lots of listeners here, particularly in the UK, but perhaps even in in the States and elsewhere, they won't really know what um, Detroit is like uh, in terms of geography and layout. But I was wondering if you could describe it from a bee's eyes view. Wow, what what a fun way to look at it. So if I was a bee in Detroit, um, I I would be extremely happy because Detroit now (laughs) has a lot of green space. Um, Detroit is an interesting city because it's kind of like uh, characters on TV shows where it all depends on how you edit. Um, And so there are some articles about Detroit that are showing the abandoned buildings and the, the disarray and the, the problems that Detroit has kind of gone through. But then there are others that are now showing the light, you know, showing the resurgence. Um, And so the, the problems that Detroit had is actually opened up a door for a lot of really wonderful wildlife situations because there were neighborhoods that were solid with houses um, but a lot of those houses became abandoned or burned down or, and um, in the course of the last decade, they've uh, removed a lot of the blighted houses yeah. and now they've been turned into gardens. Um, and so people were, were given the opportunity to purchase the lot next door if it was now vacant and owned by the city for, for very uh, reasonable prices. Right. And a lot of people are putting in urban gardens. Yeah. And so the nice thing about bees in the D, because we have so many hives uh, that, that go across five different counties here in the state of Michigan, we're up in the rural areas, we're in the suburban areas, and we're down in the city. And we have found that our city hives are actually thriving more than even our rural hives. So if I'm looking at it from wow. a bee's perspective, there's a lot of wonderful resources. And the great thing about those resources is those, those gardens are organic or the vacant lots have weeds 
which yeah. obviously are not being sprayed. So there's a lot less pesticides yeah. throughout the city. So it's it's quite a unique situation because uh, a lot of the other big cities are a little bit more dense with uh, structures and concrete. Uh, and Detroit's uh, very spread out with a lot of green space. I don't know if it's unique in the world because lots of cities have had you know, depopulation or some of them have had growth, but it, it does seem quite a remarkable place in that in that sense. And um, just looking, is it something like 1,300 urban farms in Detroit? Yeah, I, I don't know the exact number, but they just keep growing. And I'm, I have the privilege of being on a couple of the garden boards here in Detroit, and we actually have hives in quite a few of the gardens here in Detroit. Right. So uh, from a bee's point of view, actually, there's plenty of places to forage, plenty of places, and uh, quite a variety of different um, plants and flowers and shrubs and trees. Right. Uh, a lot. Um, and the honey, I'm telling you, our Detroit <laughs> honey, uh, we just get people that all the time comment about how amazing it is. And I would agree. <laughs> wow. So not only the motor city, but increasingly the honey city as well. So Right. And we're actually, we have some hives, not just at Oakland University, which is in a northern suburb of Detroit, yeah. but we're also at the University of Detroit, um, U of D. And we're actually going to be doing some studies this uh, coming year to look at the sources of the honey, like, you know, how you can test the honey to see which, okay. uh, what pollen's in there, what nectar's in there. Uh, because it's very interesting to to see where our bees are foraging and to see where they're getting their food source. Fantastic. That's very exciting. Really exciting. And it, it's in, I think, on one of your videos, a stark contrast with, I think it's the almond tree plantations in California, which um, looked pretty horrendous. I, I buy almond milk and buy almonds, and it looked horrendous with this just endless parade of trees and no other flowers or anything between them. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we got into the agricultural game and we, we created what's known as a mono society, yeah. where basically it's just one crop. And California is a great example with those almond trees. Um, <coughs> almond trees go on for miles and miles. And unfortunately, the beehives can't stay in that environment because there's mm. only a two-week blossom. And so they'll get plenty of food in that two weeks, but then it becomes a food desert for them because there aren't any. So we're starting to realize that we need to do uh, different mm. crops. And yeah. a lot of farmers are now doing strips of wildflowers and things like that so that the bees can stay permanent and not have to be transported quite as much. Mm. And if uh, not knowing really anything about bees, that when bees are transported, is that quite stressful for them? Because I imagine if they've got a hive, they get used to the area and it's familiar. Yeah, it can be extremely stressful for them um, because it's it's not an easy process. They're put on, they're they're like on a skids, and basically the hives are just lifted up and put onto the semi, closed up, and then they go to the next location. Maybe from the almond groves, they go up to the apples of Washington, and then out to the sunflowers of the Dakotas. Um, so there's a need for the the pollination, but it is a lot of people feel it's stressful on them. And also you're now transporting bees, which could have disease, could have mites. Um, mm. And so that's, that's another issue on top of it. So, and I don't know if you've been seeing in the news, there's been uh, theft where people are stealing hives. Um, they're all on skids and they'll just go in there and steal, steal them because it's an opportunity for people to have bees to make money. Wow. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, one on the one hand, sort of the industrialization of beekeeping, who would have thought, but also <laughs> theft of beehives. Remarkable. So, so Brian, what, how did you get into bees? Because you're, you're obviously a, a really good educator, a really good teacher, passionate about your job, and I'm sure you work very hard. How did you discover bees and uh, start with them? Well, I've always, growing up, I was that boy that was out in the woods, turning over logs. And I didn't really get into video games. Um, and so I've always loved nature. But to be honest, I was really interested in our local reptiles and amphibians and birds and wildflowers. Um, I didn't really get into the insects much, maybe butterflies a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I, through the generosity of a garden club uh, here in Michigan, I uh, teach in Rochester Community Schools and the Women's Garden Club of Rochester uh, contacted the science coordinator of our school district and said, 
we've raised some funds and we'd like to send a teacher up to Beaver Island. And now that's an island that's in Lake Michigan, Mm. very biological. There's a biological center up there uh, to take a two-week course through Oakland University about beekeeping across the curriculum. So a teacher that's learning beekeeping to then bring that back and help educate kids about the importance of pollinators. And when I heard about it and it was free, obviously I signed (laughs) up and, um, I just loved it. I joke with people that I caught the bug and um, I just fell in love with beekeeping. And luckily enough, I, the teacher of the course through Oakland University obviously was local to where I live. And so she became my mentor. And when I came back from the class, I got to work at the apiary there at OU, Oakland University, and just started from there. And then I got a few of my own hives when I was living, not in the city yet. Um, and I, I, there's a little bit of a, a story that goes there too, because I was going through, you know, a little bit of a rough time when I learned beekeeping. And for those of us that are beekeepers, they'll understand this. It was like my yoga going Mm, in hives is magical. And it just was my, uh, time to just kind of distress uh, and, and, and enjoy this world that is really like nothing else. And so when we moved to the city, this was about the time that the colony collapse disorder was really a hot topic. And so I just said to uh, my husband, Brian, hey, I really would like to start a nonprofit to help with the bees. They were there for me. Now it's my turn to give back, thinking it would just kind of support my hobby, Uh, have a couple hives on a few buildings downtown. And so that's how it started. We had six hives uh, the first year. Yeah. And then word got out and we blossomed to 29 hives the next summer. And one of those hives or four of those hives was up on our convention center, up on a green roof. And they got a lot of attention, beautiful setting right on the yeah. Detroit river. And then we, we just exploded to 102 hives the next year. And this last year we had 160 um, at 52 different locations. And now we're projected to have well over 200 hives uh, this coming summer, we have a couple really cool projects in the works uh, with with a couple other partners. That that's going to be exciting. So that's kind of the story. And then how we got our name was because we live in Detroit. Uh, a lot of you might not know that Detroit is nicknamed the D, <laughs> and so uh, we are both named Brian. And so people would just nickname us the Bees. And so our friends would <laughs> say we go see the Bees in the D, and that's how we got our name Bees in the D. It is amazing, actually. And your presence now on social media is incredible on sort of Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> the website. I mean, and if like over the summer, every Friday, you were doing a different sort of uh, shrub or plant. Uh, it was amazing. You can see that I kind of like the limelight. And so I love doing these little Forager Friday videos because um, I'm a real uh, visual, not only learner, but instructor. I, I yeah. teach fifth grade and I find that visuals are very helpful and the videos are just a fun way for me to learn, but to also help people learn. And they're usually only a minute long because uh, we live such a fast paced life that uh, people have time to watch a short little video. Um, And so that's my way of just getting a little bit more education out there. And uh, it's been very fun. So just going back, you said that when, um, you know, the bees were like your yoga, what is it that's so special when you're actually working with the bees? I think one of the things of if people that know me know that I am go, 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 go all the time. And I, yeah. I really don't slow down. The bees allowed me a kind of a ticket, if you will, to slow down. Because when you go in hives, you, 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 you remain calm and slow mm. and easy because you, you want to be careful with the bees And so it actually allowed me time to just breathe and enjoy. And and there's so much about hives. Like I could just sit and watch the bees go in and out all day and pull out a frame and just watch these bees that are so organized and coordinated and doing the roles that they know they need to do and working together as a collective, which is Mm -hmm. just amazing to me. And also the, the, even just the odor of it, the the smell that you get from the hive is just, it's amazing. And I know over um, in like Denmark and other areas, they actually, um, 
have therapy where you hook up to mm. hives to breathe in the air from hives because they have found that it helps with people's health conditions. Oh, amazing, actually. That's quite it really is. There's a lot of pictures if you, you know, look it up and information about that. It, it hasn't really caught on in the States here. Yeah. Um, but it is, it really is a world like no other. And so we love to do tours and we love to take people into hives. Uh, we've been lucky enough to get a few grants where we now have 50 adult bee suits and 50 children's bee suits. Mm. So we're able to take people into hives and allow them to experience uh, a world like no other. Like that's, and, and pretty much everybody walks out feeling like that. Like it's a bucket list thing. It really is where yeah. you leave going, wow, that was an amazing experience. Yeah, that's very special, actually. So in terms of you've got about 200 hives now, do you have a, do you just keep trucking on or do you have an expansion target or? Um, it's, it's interesting. When we first started the organization, when we were at the six hives, we were contacting people, begging people, please believe in our mission. Would you be willing to partner with us? And we were able to get a few people, but now it's like, we are getting emails almost daily from people that are like, Hey, we would love to be a part of this. And so now like we work with the big three for GM Chrysler, um, we're with hotels downtown Detroit. And uh, so it's been in a lot of schools, like you've heard, we're starting to work with Detroit public schools. Uh, and so now people come to us that we actually have to tell homeowners that are interested that, you know, due to expanding so quickly, uh, we, we're not, you know, partnering with homeowners right now, but I do offer workshops, all day workshops where we actually suit up. We go in the hives, we do an inspection, we do a mite treatment and we do a mini honey harvest so that I can educate other beekeepers that might want to put bees in their backyard. Yeah. So I was thinking, Brian, one of the things that, um, I probably should have asked this earlier, but you know, from I know about bees, I grow vegetables and pollinating plants, etc. But why are bees important? What's so special about their role in in our wider ecology? So there is a little controversy with honeybees here in the states, because, uh, but not much, because they're not native to North America. They were oh. brought over from the European area, um, and so we do have a lot of native uh, bees that yeah. are mainly solitary, uh, meaning that they, are, they do not form the large colonies like honeybees do. And actually, those solitary bees in a lot of, like if you put one against one, one honeybee against one, let's say, leafcutter bee, the leafcutter bee is much more efficient at pollinating. But the difference here is their strength in numbers. Mm. And so honeybees, because they're 60,000 strong in the summertime in their hives, you know, many hands... Um, you know, a lot more work is going to get done. I guess you could say hands. I don't think bees really have hands. But, um, so uh, they're very important to our food industry because uh, they are pollinating. A lot of people don't think about this. They just think about the, the plants that, um, you know, that are, that do need that cross-pollination, mm. like the almonds. Uh, but bees are pollinating also a lot of the food sources of the food chain. Mm. And so other plants that we may not eat as humans, but other birds and mammals eat those plants. So they're helping to build that foundation of the food uh, table or the uh, food chain. Um, and so you kind of have to even think of, you know, our cattle or our meat industry, a lot of them, them eat alfalfa, which needs to be pollinated. And so they're also helping in mm. areas that we don't think of as much. And they're part of the food chain. I mean, it's not, there's a little bit of that, but it's mainly that they are pollinating. I guess they say that one third of every bite that we put in our mouth somehow relates to pollinators and most likely honeybees because there's, you know, they're the main pollinators. Um, so it is remarkable. And I have wonderful letters from some of the urban gardens here in Detroit that before we put our hives, like I, one of them, I can think of the Green of Detroit. It's a great organization. They have this beautiful garden right downtown. And we are now on a building across the street. We have six hives through Bedrock um, up on the building. 
And before we had that, she had, you know, she got quite a few vegetables because there's still other pollinators. But she wrote me a beautiful letter that the year that I got the honeybees up on the roof, she's like, I cannot believe our harvest. Um, It is. Yeah. And what's great about a lot of these gardens is that food then is in a lot of cases just given to the neighborhood. So like at one of our uh, gardens, the Michigan Urban Farming Initiative, the neighbors can pull up and uh, they can sometimes pick their own food or it's picked for them and they're getting fresh vegetables from their own neighborhood. And that's a big education right there because a lot of uh, inner city uh, kids and even families don't know where their food is coming from. And now they're seeing that it's coming from a, in a organic, uh, wonderful garden. And so I like to look at it that our bees are helping to uh, help educate about eating properly as well and good diet. They are amazing little creatures then, really. So effectively, no bees, very little food is the bottom line. Exactly. Um, And that's one of the most rewarding comments that I get from, uh, because we were a little nervous because, uh, you know, bees can have a reputation. And so we, well, stinging insects can have a reputation Mm. and we tend to put them all in one category. Yellow jackets here in the States around the end of summer and fall get really bad at our, like our orchards, our um, cider mills. Yeah, and now yellow, of, jacket, yellow jackets, I think we call them wasps. Yep, and they are in the wasp family. And yeah, okay. a lot of people just assume that they're bees. And so they, and they're kind of in your face. They don't understand your personal bubble. Well, the honeybees pretty much are out at flowers. They don't really care about humans that much. Mm. And so that's one of my first things I try to educate people about, the difference between a wasp and a bee. Because uh, we were nervous that people would have not like that there was hives around, but we are so, we were so pleasantly surprised that people love them and want the hives. And so that's been fun too, to educate and to suit up, you know, people in the neighborhood and let them see the world um, and then get to reap the benefits of it. Because people say to me, it's so rewarding. You know, five years ago, I never saw bees. I remember as a kid, I saw bees on the plants And now I see bees all the time on our flowers. And so that's very rewarding to hear people say that. I can imagine, especially in um, like we have here in in major inner cities in in the UK, um, you know, sometimes there's not that much parkland. People are quite divorced from nature. Like you say, where, where does food come from? And it just, you know, it's the supermarket or the shop. Right, right. People have no idea. So actually, I think that's a, a, a fantastic thing. Can I ask, Brian, are you, um, I think I saw on the website, you're trying to develop an education center? Yeah. So <laughs> this is, it's so crazy how everything has just really fallen into place. And it's due to the generosity of others. And that's one thing I do want to say about Detroit. Detroit is so unique. Well, it feels unique, but maybe other cities are like this, but it's a big city, but it feels small and there's so many grassroots efforts Mm. and we all really work together. Collaborations in Detroit are amazing. And so we uh, put as our long-term goal, our 10-year goal to have an education center where people can go not just to learn about the pollinators and we want to have gardens and stuff, but for it also to be a meeting space, a community space where people can do other things as well. Um, Just a a space for neighborhoods to come in. And uh, Studio Detroit, which is an amazing Mm. architect firm in Detroit, uh, heard about Bees in the D and reached out to us and we kind of shared, this is going to be our 10-year vision And they totally drew up plans for an education center upcycling two shipping containers and having a living roof on top of it with beehives up on top um, and and did it all for free. Fantastic. So now, I mean, we're coming up on our fifth year. We're not even into our fifth year yet. And we are already starting the fundraising. We've already had some very generous donors. And we're working with the Detroit Land Bank to get some of those vacant lots um, and we're hoping, crossing our fingers, to break ground this summer and to get our education center maybe up and running by the end of this summer, about five years ahead of our, our projected plan. So I think That's incredible. That's, that's uh, we're really so wonderful. excited about it. 
Yeah, and a testament to your hard work as well. I mean, yeah, and that's that's the thing too. I mean, our bees in the D is basically we have about ten people that are all volunteers. We all have regular jobs. Like I'm a teacher. Brian works for a label company, and our other board members, uh, you know, have different jobs. It's all volunteer, and everything goes back towards the conservation and education of honeybees. Um, and that's something very important to us that we are, it's about the bees, you know, it's not about the keeper. It's not about Mm -hmm. your money. It's about the bees and, uh, the bee industry is growing quite a bit. And a lot of people, uh, have asked me, Oh, do you make like tons of money with selling honey and stuff like that? And I'm like, no, there are really no rich beekeepers out there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not as, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like when you're, when you put money as your focus, it's, it's, it's in the wrong spot. Uh, but that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> no. And I think, um, uh, it sounds like you've recruited a lot of people. And one of the reasons why I, I, I suppose it's, it's, for many people, doing a podcast about Detroit is a bit niche, particularly if you don't live there. But um, I was struck by um, how different it seems. It, it, you know, the, well, partly the environment and its history. It, Detroit is such a incredible city because it grew so fast. You know, many decades ago, and the architecture is just amazing. And now it's reviving, and I, I just feel like it parallels the bees so much because uh, if you go to some of our famous buildings like the Fisher building or um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other guardian building or the Masonic temple, uh, there's actually bees in the architecture of the building because bees symbolize um, prosperity and they symbolize resurrection. And so it's a great parallel that as the city is reviving, Hmm. we're also becoming quite a leader in urban beekeeping um, and so that's always been a fun thing. And we've been feeling the love. I mean, like I, I went out to New York City to uh, Central Park and got to give a talk about this surge in Detroit, along with the surge of urban beekeeping. And it, it's just, uh, it's become kind of a story of Detroit, which is kind of fun. And given the, you know, this, I guess the how gargantuan the car industry was and probably still is, Actually, to then have these tiny, tiny little creatures right. um, on mass creating that stir, I think is really exciting. Really, yeah. Exciting. We had uh, we did a project that is uh, still I just love this, but um, right right up the river from where we live um, is the Arensen, which is one of the iconic buildings of Detroit. And up on the parking garage, um, they have a green roof, beautiful gardens, and we have five hives up there. And one of our hives is what we call our prototype hive. And what we did was uh, we took a reject battery casing of the Chevy Volt mm. and flipped it the other side up so it was facing the other way. And it, it mimics much like a uh, top bar hive. And we took the battery cells. All of this was um, food grade. So, you know, there's no poison leaching mm. in. Um, and I just put plastocell into these battery cells, took the cell part out, and it literally made frames that were perfect and the bees have taken to it. So instead of going to the landfill, um, and then we made a lid out of pallets that would yeah. you know, just get burned or go to the landfill and have made a hive out of reject materials um, for the bees. And so that's been fun. And so now we're going to be working with some of the local high schools, their green teams, uh, to do like a STEM project of how can we make these prototype hives even better? Like how can we maybe insulate them better for the winter? Is mm-hmm. there somehow we can modify the frames to be more, to help with the bees a little bit more? So it's fun to involve students into this process because we underestimate our students and our children so often. Mm. They have such creative, great ideas. And so why not reel them in? And we're actually going to be, um, this summer we're launching bees in the D junior and we are going to have a junior board um, that meets regularly as well and does one fundraiser for the bees or two fundraisers a year, because I think it's important for kids, even at a young age to volunteer and to give back and to understand Mm -hmm. about how we can help 
uh, with a lot of the issues that we're facing, uh, not just in America, but across the world. I think that community involvement is amazing, actually. And it's also, I think it's very, um, for lots of kids who are not listened to and not allowed to organize, it's very empowering, very enriching. And I, so I think that's a really excellent thing that you're doing as well. I'm a great supporter of that. So, so Brian, one of the things that you, you mentioned about insulation uh, you know, in beehives, uh, your winters tend to get a little bit colder than ours. Um, I think it's relatively mild compared with last year, isn't it? No yeah, polar vortex, no polar vortexes or anything like that. It's quite not balmy. yet. I mean, we're we're not out of the the winter months yet, but this has been a very very mild winter, which um, actually, you know, from dealing with the bees, I am a strong believer that the cold cold can be a factor and ultimately maybe a factor, but it's more about moisture in the hives. Much like I use the example of if I would fall through the ice of a lake, mm. I'm going to go through hypothermia much faster. So if moisture gets in the hive or too much moisture, the cold then can be deadly. The problem with warmer winters that we're not used to is, I mean, we leave more than a, a lot of beekeepers, we leave about 80 to 100 pounds of honey in the hives because we do get to harvest honey and we make an education out of that, but we're not really in the honey business. We're more mm. in conservation education. Um, so we would rather leave more honey in the hives to help the bees have supplies for the winter. But when it's more mild, they need to eat more because they're more active. Okay. And so um, you just we really need to check to make sure that their supplies are adequate. So we do supplement with some sugar. Um, mm. And but you're right. It's been a very mild winter. But even with that polar vortex last year, um, you know, many of our hives just sailed right through it. I mean, they formed that winter cluster, which what, is... A, what, so what do the bees do in winter? Oh, it's, do, they, it's, do they go to sleep? Or no, I think it's a marvel of nature. So what happens is um, around October, the queen bee slows down a little bit, but she lays eggs just like she does throughout the summer. Um, in the summer, she's laying about 2,000 eggs a day. Uh, she slows down because she doesn't want too many mouths to feed. But then the worker bees, the nurse bees, actually feed the larva. Well, they change the diet of the larva going into the winter months or the fall months so that the bees are ju they're just a little bit different. They're actually a little bit smaller. They don't have as strong of wings, but they have strong wing muscles. And their goal is to vibrate those muscles to create friction. And we all know I have the kids rub their hands together um, and friction creates heat. So what they do is they form a cluster around the queen, vibrating their muscles to create that heat. And actually throughout the winter, the queen is a balmy 90 degrees all through the winter. Um, and that's their goal. They Their whole goal is to get the queen into the spring months. About the end of February, the queen is going to start laying a few more eggs to start to build that population because what they rotate, they rotate that cluster. So the bees on the outside obviously are cold and they rotate into the middle to warm up and then the other ones. So it's really quite remarkable that they don't sleep. They don't hibernate like a lot of animals. Yeah. They live off of their honey and they move that cluster throughout the hive and hopefully make it to the spring months where when the trees start to bloom, there's early sources of nectar and pollen so that they can start rebuilding up the hive. That's fantastic. Isn't, Isn't that it great? like a marvel of nature? It's that's, so crazy. That's, I'd love to say, there must be some YouTube videos of that or something. Like yeah, that. there are. It, actually. You know what's exciting? We have a, a another spot here in Detroit, the Outdoor Adventure Center, which, oh, it's the coolest thing. It's, it's actually an old building, the Globe Building, where Henry Ford did his internship as a, a teenager. Um, but now it's an outdoor museum. And it's also our DNR, the Department of Natural Resources office. And we have four hives outside and working together with our energy company, DTE, here we put a solar panel and we have hives, or I'm sorry, cameras on the exterior of the hives and one on the interior of one of the hives. And then it projects into the outdoor education center on the screens. So you can watch our bees in the winter doing that cluster at one of the displays in the center. Oh, you need a webcam. I know we've talked about how to get this to be a live feed to put on the internet. And maybe that will be coming soon, hopefully. <laughs> but it's it's pretty exciting. For bee nerds everywhere. So. Oh, yeah. And I think there are some bee cams out there where people are putting it online because I've 
Googled it and found a few and it is, especially in the winter months, nice to get that little bee fix. And I've got a lot of uh, people that I follow and they follow us that are in the Southern hemisphere and they're in the midst of their bee season right now. So it's really fun to still get my bee fix watching them because they're going through summer in the Southern hemisphere um, while we're, you know, in the, the snow of the cold of the northern hemisphere. So, so Brian, what's um, what's the most surprising thing that you found being a beekeeper? I guess for me, I, I was just, there's a couple surprises. I was surprised at how well received we've been. Um, I think that one thing, the other Brian always says to me, people can sense my passion. But bees have now become the underdogs that it feels like everybody's cheering on. And the other thing that I found really surprising is since we've started this uh, organization, I've been finding out there's a lot more beekeepers out there than I thought. And that's exciting. There's a lot of hobbyist beekeepers. And I really appreciate the fact that those hobby beekeepers have helped keep the bee populations afloat because they really declined. Um, and a lot of commercial beekeepers were hanging up their veils because it was just becoming very difficult with the mites and expensive. And so I was very pleasantly surprised and love meeting other beekeepers. And, uh, and like I said, it's about the bees. I love the collaboration of working with other beekeepers. So we're fortunate with you know, we have a lot of hives. I have some wonderful volunteer beekeepers that allow us to keep all of our hives healthy. So that's been very fun for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, you don't have to convince me of your passion about bees. It comes <laughs> across, it's wonderful. If you could bottle it, you'd probably be a rich man, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'd be giving it all to the bees. Our education center would be built already if that was the case. <laughs> so so what, what, what has beekeeping taught you about yourself? Well, I've kind of kind of hinted at it earlier. It is really has taught me to slow down. Mm. You know, we hear the expression "stop and smell the roses." Well, I like to stop and enjoy the bees. Uh, It really slows my. I'm just a go 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 person, which Mm. I love, but it allows me to just appreciate nature and life. Really, I mean, it's just I I'm blown away at the complexities. I mean, I've been beekeeping for 11 years now and I am still learning. Like I like learn so much about bees from other beekeepers, from podcasts, like what you're doing from articles and now working with a couple other companies, you know, like universities and then um, a couple other companies that are, we're doing some scientific stuff where we're putting pollen patties of different, like one is just a regular pollen patty one is a pollen patty with uh, probiotics in it, and one does, some of the hives don't get any at all. And we're testing to see if the bees that get the probiotic patties, if it's helping with some of the gut diseases. So I, I'm working with scientists, which is so fun. And it got to co-write a uh, article that went into a science journal. So to oh. be able to, I'm not a strong writer, believe me. So I've had a lot of help, but to be able to say that I'm a published you know, um, science journal. I've been published in a science journal. Is I would have never guessed that because I am not a strong writer, and um, it's been very fun to get to see the scientific side of things as well. That's amazing, actually. Yeah, I should have added that to the intro, shouldn't I? Really, those <laughs> like in the states, the same in the UK. We have lots of people have these lawns, sterile lawns, which <laughs> many people love. Here in the UK, we call it a garden. You have a, I think you call it a yard there. What can someone who say listening to this or finds out about bees, what can they do in their own home, their home garden, the yard? To help I, the bees. I love that you brought this up because um, after World War II, that became like the standard. You had to have the greenest lawn, no dandelions, you know, uh, beautifully like the evergreen shrubs that, you know, frame out your house beautifully. And I'm happy to see that that trend is starting to change a little bit. And so we started an initiative called the Detroit Bee Highway or the Bee Highway uh, where um a lot of people were like, well, are you going to put hives along the highways? Well, that we do have some hives at some of the businesses mm-hmm. along the highways, but that it just, it's more of a highway for the bees up in the air. But 
any living thing needs three essentials. They need shelter, they need food, and they need water. And so uh, training beekeepers or us installing hives, we can help with that with the shelter by having the beehives. But it's so simple for the homeowner that doesn't want to have hives to provide the other two essentials. So um, I usually tell people, you don't have to go big here. Go in your backyard, and especially if it's a sunny area, and find a three-by-three you know, little corner that's wasted or grass and plant some wildflowers so that not just our honeybees, but our native pollinators and our butterflies and our hummingbirds have a place to get some food. And then um, I always encourage people to put out a water station. And it's as simple as like, it can be a small bird bath that you put rocks in there. It can be a bowl with marbles in it. Um, where the bees can land, but get there. Um, It can be as pretty as a a water feature. You know, a lot of people are putting water features in their yards now. So we're really encouraging people to just make a little way station for our pollinators because they do go a three to five mile radius from their hives. So even if the hives are a couple miles away, the bees may stop at your place because uh, there's sources there. And then I really try to help people it's okay to have dandelions in the yard. They're pretty. Let some of those clover and, and weeds grow because they're important sources um, for our pollinators. And so I love seeing that a lot of people are letting their yard go a little bit more, more natural. And for our native bees, uh, I'm, I'm giving you permission. You're going to love this to not clean up your yard too much in the fall. Like leave some of the leaves and the sticks and the hollow stalks of some of the plants because a lot of our native bees and pollinators and insects need that or they're wintering in that area. And so uh, don't be as quite as clean about your yard. And people do say, well, I can't let the weeds grow too tall because I'll get a violation. Well, uh, I understand that. Uh, But even if you don't mow your lawn quite as often, let it grow a little bit longer uh, so that some of those um, flowers can go to bloom. Um, plus, it also, uh, when you let the, your grass grow longer, it preserves water as well, because the longer the grass, the more water or moisture stays in there. So it's also a water issue. So it really is, I love the trend of seeing people change that and want to have way stations for our pollinators. Um, and if you think about it, then it affects our whole food chain. So not only does it help our pollinators, but then it creates food sources for butterflies and other insects that birds eat. And then, and it's a chain effect. And so it's very fun to see that. And that's what's happening in Detroit. I mean, when I walk the dogs down by our river, I see fox, I see turkey. I mean, downtown Detroit, it's, we have coyotes. I mean, it's something else how um, nature has really, um, sorry, my earpiece came out, that nature is really coming back. Like the, the, aquatic birds and the pheasants. We have so many pheasants in the city that they actually do catch some of them and bring them out to the country because there's all these vacant lots with food sources for the pheasant. So Brian, let me ask you um, just a couple more questions. If someone comes to Detroit, Mm -hmm. aside from coming to see the beehives, obviously, Naturally, uh, (laughs) of course, yeah, that's I think that's number one priority. Where, what, uh, where else would you take them? What would they do? Well. Detroit has become quite a food town, so you will never leave Detroit hungry. Um, And what I love about our restaurants here in Detroit is they really are using local produce because there's so many farms now. And we have the Eastern Market, so I would definitely take them to the Eastern Market. It is Mm -hmm. an open market every Saturday and in the summers on Tuesday that is just, it's just walking around and seeing the fresh vegetables and flowers and, and all different things. So that I would definitely go to the Eastern market. We have a lot of wonderful entertainment. We are also a sports town. So if the, if they enjoy sports, all of our arenas are right in the core mm-hmm. of the city. Um, and uh, on the outskirts of town, there's a lot and in town, there's a lot like the science center that I told you about the outdoor adventure center. Yeah. Uh, there's um, historical museums Uh, The DIA, which is our art institute, which is fantastic. But then even on the outskirts of Detroit, like there's the Henry Ford Museum and the Greenfield Village. And so you will never get bored in Detroit. (laughs) There is always something going on. 
um, uh, of course, we're a music town too. So yeah. uh, you can go to some of the the, the music places, the studios. Um, and so it's just, you. I promise you, you would never get bored. And I know Detroit um, and a, quite a few magazines has been ranked one of the best visits of the world. Um, which is quite flattering. And I understand why, because, you know, of the Motown, Motown Museum and, and the Fisher Building and the architecture. And, and now there's this surge of sustainability. And Detroit's becoming quite a leader in sustainability. And to be a part of that with the Beehives has just been a privilege. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's really exciting. I think as long as if you could get a decent railway system and a decent tram system, I think then you'd be set up. Yep. And that's, that's one of the downfalls of Detroit that we don't have a large public transportation system. But of course, people can understand the history of that. We were Car City, USA. And so by not having that, they wanted people to get cars. But now we're realizing that it, it you know, a lot of people can't afford the cars or it's better for the environment. So we, yeah. We're, we're on the road of getting, I mean, we have the, the Q line now, which is a, a, a trolley type thing that goes up and down Woodward, one of our main streets. We have a, our bus system has improved immensely. But yeah, I would love to see more uh, public transportation because you're right, that would help a lot uh, with with people being able to get around without having to uh, worry about parking mm-hmm. their car and the car insurance and stuff like that. Yeah, and and yeah, a modern twenty first century city really needs something like that. But we, that's getting a bit nerdy now about public transport, really, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it's it's a hot topic. I mean, it's a topic that's talked about quite a bit uh, mm. among, especially this uh, tri county area uh, of getting more public transportation and extending so that because what happened in Detroit is uh, there was a lot of people that fled to the suburbs. Uh, the Detroit, there are so many suburban cities and that's where people started to move out to. Mm. Uh, so now if we had public transportation that could take people back into the city, that'd be fantastic without having to worry about where am I going to park my car and having to have parking garages everywhere. Yeah. And you can have a drink as well. So uh, exactly. You can have a drink and then just take <laughs> the train home. But if you were coming to the UK or to Europe, where would you, where would you choose to visit? So it's so funny you ask that because um, in April, I'm coming across the pond for the first time. Mm. So I'm very excited. Oh, first gonna, time? Yeah, we're going to spend five days in London and five days in Paris. Mm. And um, I've already contacted quite a few beekeepers. And so I'm hoping to get to meet every time we go on a vacation. So like when we did our cruise down in the uh, the Caribbean islands, Instead of swimming with the dolphins, which I would love to, we actually went to uh, on uh, forget uh, Curacao. We went to the the one beekeeper that's on the island to their apiary, oh, and I got amazing. Oh, it was so cool, and to taste the difference in honey. Yeah. And so now, when we travel, that's we love to visit other beekeepers. So I've been talking with a few beekeepers there in um, London and in Paris, and I'm hoping that we'll find some time. Our schedules will match and we'll get to uh, meet the beekeepers. And ideally, I would even love to go on the hives because it's just to be able to say that I've beekeeped in London or in Paris would be fantastic. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and I saw I saw an article. I didn't read it all, unfortunately. And it was about how the bees in Notre Dame, despite the fire, seem to be thriving. Yes, I actually talked with the beekeepers there. And so I'm crossing my fingers that I will maybe get to go up on the roof there and uh, see the hives that they did survive that fire, which is remarkable. I mean, it it really is. You need to get that on video as well if you do that. Oh, I oh, you better believe I will. <laughs> it will be like one of those bucket list things because I've oh, yeah. to do a lot of really cool things in my life. Uh, that will be right there towards the top. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. So, uh, Brian, we're probably just coming to the end now, and I'm really grateful for your time. It's been amazing, and such you've been a, a generous generous person to be to interview it's been wonderful and, well thank uh, you i could talk bees all day long <laughs> yeah it's great i'm beginning to flake now as it's um 10 past 12 my time just after midnight the can i ask I, you yeah, what sure. what was your fascination with detroit well it's it's a bit of a long story but um I am very active. Do you know yoga with Adrian, Adrian Mishler, who's YouTube's biggest yoga star? 
She's from Texas, from Austin. I've heard the name, but I don't, yeah. I'm not a yoga person. Sorry. Yeah, so, <laughs> the beehives are my yoga. Yeah. As you said, well, I do a lot of yoga. And uh, anyway, a couple of years ago, I was looking to um, improve my headstand. I was looking for a video. I came across this free 80-minute video on YouTube by this teacher who was uh, really thorough, brilliant, but really quirky. And it was Adrienne Mishler, and she's great. Anyway, so I found her website and noticed that she had a social media community, uh, which I assumed was a bit like Facebook for yoga. But it's not like that at all. It's just amazing. So I now know, know in inverted commas, lots of people around the States, in fact, all around the world, and lots of people are going to be listening to this podcast it's called The Cooler. And uh, on that, I got talking to some people in and around Detroit. There seemed to be something special about it. And that's, and I got a bit hooked, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I've, I've never been there. I'm hoping to come over maybe in June or July. Oh, um, if you do, please let me know. We'll take you to our hives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild horses would keep me away, I think, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't keep you away. So um, that's that in a nutshell. That's it, really. Um, so cool. we've done yeah. some yoga with bees event. Oh, really? Um, yeah, up on the Rensen, like I was talking, mm-hmm. there's a green space where they do yoga and it's right by our hives. So they, they've done uh, some charity events where it's yoga for bees and uh, the, the price, they might add $5 to it and then they give a donation to our nonprofit uh, we've done that with the convention center as well. Some yoga is pretty big in Detroit. Yeah, I, I've seen a few things actually. It's sort of early morning yoga in center of Detroit. It looks great. So, yeah. uh, but so that's how I got interested in Detroit. And, how about uh, that? How cool! I'm pretty hooked. I think, even though I haven't been there, so hopefully I won't hate it when I arrive. But, well, so. please, I, I think you'll love it, and uh, please let us know if you come into town because we would love to show you the spots and. Uh, oh yeah, a lot of the chefs spoil us rotten because we help provide some wonderful honey for them. And <laughs> oh, I'm I'm one of those annoying vegans. So uh, yeah. oh, so you don't eat honey at all? No, I do actually. I do have some honey, but in terms of the rest of the food, I do have some honey, locally produced honey, where I know it's where not you industrial, know. Yeah. et cetera, et cetera. We're always flattered that uh, a lot of a lot or a few vegans seek us out for our honey because they know that we are responsible with our bees and respectful with our bees and so to have a a vegan that will eat our honey it's a huge compliment because it shares that they trust that we are doing it in humane uh, a way brian thank you joy speaking to you really have a look and say hello to you and have a coffee or something like that because that would uh, that'd be great yeah i don't i don't brian does all the itinerary that's his thing he loves it and so um but i know he's packing it pretty tight our friend rusty's going to be with us too but um whenever i have a chance to meet somebody that now i consider a friend or other beekeepers i'm always we're always on board for that brian thank you very much enjoy the rest of your evening yeah thank you and I, you get I, some I, sleep I, I, i'm <laughs> flaking rapidly so it's been a joy take care and blessings to you and brian as well thank you great take talking care. with you all right Cheers. bye bye well and there's the interview with Brian, which I really enjoyed. And uh, we had a follow-up one as well around um, during the pandemic. But um, when I was trying to sort out the tech stuff of all of this, couldn't work out how to, uh, how to add that bit. Um, but it was such such a good interview. I really enjoyed it. And next week, do you know what? I can generally say I don't actually know what it is. I've got about six or seven other interviews but uh, I'm just trying to work out what might uh, segue into this one nicely. So uh, I can't actually tell you what it's going to be. Uh, but thank you very much and have a really lovely week and uh, blessings to you all. To you all. Thank you.